Today's Bible reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, but I am actually going to be reading from verse 39, just to give a bit of context. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. But isn't it a wonderful blessing that that we're able to gather together as the people of God and to worship the Lord as we celebrate the birth of our Saviour? This year, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, and it's going to be next year as well, because the Gospel of Luke's a really big book, and we're just working our way through it as we go. And when it comes to the Christmas story, and we see it reflected in the Christmas carols as well, um, a key theme has to be praise and worship, eh? We're just filled with praise and worship for God. We've got the shepherds, we've got the angels, we've got the wise men, all praising and worshipping God. And the reading that I've chosen for today gives voice to the praise and the worship of Jesus' mum, Mary. It's actually a song. And it's known as the Magnificat. And the reason it's known as the Magnificat is because Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That means my soul, that that, that very deep part within me, my, my very personal being makes God great. It magnifies him. Her, her soul praises God. Her soul extols God. Now, that might seem like a bit of a strange statement. I mean... God is already great. How can I make God great? How can you make God great? But the thing is, when when the people of God extol the greatness of God, when we proclaim the greatness of God, that's, that's putting it out there for others to hear and for others to know that our God is great.
But before we dig into this too much, I just want to set the scene a bit. When we first began the series on Luke, I'm pretty sure I would have said right at the start, if I didn't, I should have, uh, that the Gospel of Luke is actually two volumes. It's actually two different books. Um, the first part we know is the Gospel of Luke. The second part is known as Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. They're both recorded by Luke, and Luke himself sees the book of Acts as the second volume of his gospel. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words of Acts, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, that's the bloke he's writing to, he said, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And then, of course, it continues into the book of Acts, which continues with, how, with what Jesus continued to do through his disciples. So why am I telling you that, that now? Why are we talking about Acts when, when, when it's Christmas morning? It's because what we're looking at today, the Magnificat, some of it is about Mary's personal experience of God, but a fair bit of it is prophetic. A fair bit of it is looking forwards to what God will do through Jesus. And so we can almost see this as a bit of an introduction. It, it touches on some of the important themes that comes out within the teachings of Jesus and the parables of Jesus, and then it continues to unfold through the book of Acts. So, for example, we hear how the mercy of God extends to all who fear him. And we see that unfold in the book of Acts, where the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, and, and in, who, who want to worship God, and in the book of Acts they're referred to as the God-fearers, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the mercy of God. See, there once was a time where Jesus came for the Jews, and it, and it was only seen as the Jewish Messiah. But God was going to open up this for all of the non-Jews, which is probably most of us here today. So we're probably thankful that this happened. And then we hear in the teachings of Jesus also how things like how the rich and the powerful will not respond to the Lord and how the poor and the nobodies and, and the ones who aren't well thought of, well, they are the ones who are blessed. And so it's sort of like the first will be last and the last will be first. And as we've been working through the Gospel of Luke, this has just been coming through over and over and over again. And we also hear how God's covenant with his people Israel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right? So a lot of what we've just read is prophetic. It's looking forwards to what God will do through Jesus. So let's get into it. And we begin with worship. And it is a worship that is intensely personal. Mary worships God. She magnifies God from her soul. What is worship to you? Is worship for you just going through the motions to blend in with a religious crowd? So when you're Come along to church. Well, there's people there worshipping God, so you sort of do it just to blend in. Or is your worship deeply personal? Does your worship well up from your soul? Or is your worship dependent on others? 
Let, let me help you to try and sort that out. Do you need a concert-like atmosphere to try and get you going in your worship? Do you need moving music, preferably led by a world-class musician to help you to worship? Do you need the dimmed lights and perhaps a smoke machine to give a bit of Holy Spirit ambience? What do you need to help you to worship God? Do you need something akin to a cheerleader up the front who's going to G you up so that you can worship? Or maybe you might be the sort of person who likes to have some nice candles just burning away nicely and, and a pipe organ with a bit of music there to, to help you to worship God. You know, it's something I learned a long time ago is if I need some kind of special conditions to inspire me to worship, and if I find it difficult to worship unless those conditions are there, well, that says more about the worshiper and my shallowness and my distance from God than what it does about the place of worship or the people with whom I'm trying to worship. Are you hearing me? Your worship shouldn't be dependent on others. In Jesus Christ, we have every reason to worship from the depths of our soul. And if you do not worship God from the depths of your soul, are you even saved? Mary said, my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Wow. We don't usually think of Mary as the one who's needing a saviour. I mean, she's Jesus's mum. And yet Jesus is her saviour. She needed a saviour just like we needed a saviour. God didn't choose Mary because she is perfect and sinless. If Mary was perfect and sinless, he wouldn't have needed to send his son. He could have just crucified Mary. But the only one who has ever been perfect and sinless is our Lord Jesus Christ. God didn't choose Mary because she is perfect and sinless. He chose her in his mercy and in his grace. She was of lowly position. God saw that. God knew that. And that's our story too. Mary is praising God, her saviour. And that's the exact same reason we're here today. We praise God today for the birth of our saviour. God is fully aware of our state of utter unworthiness. But even so, he sent Jesus to die for us, for we who were unworthy. And Mary, she is so humbled that God would come to her. She refers to herself as, as a servant. Well, that's, that word is actually slave, and, and it's a female slave, a handmaiden. Let's compare Mary and her humility to the repugnant, modern, self-absorbed, self-important culture of today. You know, to try and appeal to people who are consumed with themselves, the gospel message today is often presented with as, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful. You know, you have this inner beauty about you tucked away deep inside that God can see. And, and God wants to, to help you to be the best version of yourself that, that you can be. 
You are so valuable to God. He couldn't possibly go through eternity without you. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you any more than what he needs me. I'm the one who needs God. And you're the one who needs God. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see something beautiful within. He sees sin. The same as when he looks at me. He sees my sin. And that is what makes the gospel so beautiful. You and I, we know that we are totally unworthy to commune with a holy God. And if a person doesn't know that they are unworthy before a holy God, then they're filled with, with a foolish, narcissistic pride. Why would Jesus leave the glorious throne room of heaven to be born in the most humble of circumstances? Why would he be willing to suffer the scourge of the whip and the impaling of the nails? Because we were so wonderful and he couldn't, he couldn't bear to live without us? No, because we are totally unworthy and he is merciful. That's the beauty of the gospel. God loves you not because you're lovable, but because God is love and because God is merciful. Mary truly was blessed to, to carry the Son of God in her womb. And she was blessed to have the responsibility of caring for the Son of God in his childhood. But that doesn't mean we praise Mary or we, we, we don't worship Mary. We simply recognise and we marvel that she was blessed, even though she didn't deserve it. Just as we are truly blessed that God has come to us, that God has mercy on us, and that God comes as our saviour, and that God lives in us by his Holy Spirit, even though we don't deserve it. Now, there's three characteristics of God that this song really draws out here. The power of God, the holiness of God, and the mercy of God. Firstly, the power of God. He is mighty. He is strong. He does great things. He did great things for Mary. He does great things for us. Think of the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And it, it really focuses here on, on and how it's the power of God that scatters the proud in the thoughts of their heart and brings the mighty down from their thrones. Why does God do that? Does God have something against the rich people? Does God have something against the high achievers in society? Does God have something against the, the ruling class? No, not at all. Let me tell you why this happens. Um, and this is just a generalization about how and why the power of God scatters the proud. Often, the more powerful a person is, or the more money a person has, or the more assets a person has, often the more pride that goes along with that and the more self-confidence that goes along with that and the less a person realises that they're dependent upon God and that they need God. And by the strength of God's arm, those who in their pride 
are fully confident in themselves and I don't need God, in the strength of God's arm, they will be brought low. And those who go through life selfishly hoarding all that they have, they will go away empty. While those who have nothing, they're usually the first to cry out to God. When we have nothing, we realise that I need God to look after me. I need God to carry me. I need God merely to exist. I need God to live. And so we cry out to God. Secondly, we hear about the holiness of God. Now, if God is holy, how can sinful man be in relationship with a holy God? You know, sometimes I've um, been doing a bit of work, and yes, it does happen occasionally. Um, and I come home all sweaty and greasy, and I come up for a kiss. Um, Robin doesn't really like that. It's like, go and have a shower. It's filthy. Now, if you think about us coming before God in our sin, and here's our holy God, how, how can we be in close relationship with God? Well, I can't. And that's why he sent his son. Part of the covenant promise of God to Israel right throughout the Old Testament is that God would deliver his people and make them holy. And the coming of Jesus was always God's plan. That was always the way that he was going to do that. Verse 54 says he has... He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And what that's talking about is, is this plan that God has always had to deliver his people of Israel. And that is what happened when Jesus came. Through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, sin and death are conquered. And by faith, he takes away our sin and he gives us his righteousness and his holiness. And so we truly can commune with God because in Christ our sins are taken away and no longer are we a sinful people. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not filled with sin anymore. You are now filled with the very righteousness of God. And you have been made to a state of holiness. And so a holy people can truly commune with a holy God. But I reckon the third characteristic of God, the mercy of God, is what is highlighted in this song. And we've already heard a fair bit about the mercy of God, but, but this morning I want to look specifically at verse 50. It says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Have you ever wondered that? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to be terribly afraid. I mean, Satan is afraid of God. Satan is terrified of God. And he has good reason to be terrified of God. He's been beaten. 
and Satan is destined for the torment of hell. To fear God is to have a deep, reverential respect for God. To fear God means that, that we recognize Him as the all-powerful God and we recognize Him as Lord, as our Lord. And we yield to Him in total submission. And if the Lord does not take priority in a person's life, that's a pretty good indicator that they don't really fear God. His mercy is for those who fear him. The mercy of God, that's something we truly need, isn't it? Without the mercy of God, what hope is there for us? The mercy of God is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That means this has been true right from the beginning and it will be true right through the, to the end. Each generation will be judged by how we relate to God. In every generation, there will be some who fear God. There will be some who do not fear God. And there will be some who lose their fear of God. Now, I'm in no doubt that in general, our culture have truly lost the fear of God. Probably the best example I can give you of this is there once was a time as if a person's loved one was admitted to hospital and they thought they might not get out, this could be the end for them. You know what they'd do? They'd ring the minister and they'd say, can you... Can you come and visit our loved one? And what they'd want is, is for, us, for the minister to come and, and share the gospel and to pray with them in the hope that they have this one last chance to get right with God. Do you know how that often that happens today? I think I've done it once in the last 18 years. Once. The minister today doesn't usually get the call until a few days after the undertakers had the call to come and pick up the body. And I just go, what good is that now? What good is that now? What, do you want me to say a few magic words? And once they're gone, they're gone. Our culture has well and truly lost that underlying fear of God. But I want you to hear this today. What I've just referred to as an underlying fear of God, that's not really the fear of God. That's superstition. It's a just-in-case thing. Just in case there might be something real about this God stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll call the minister to, to, to pray with this person. A genuine fear of God is a deep, reverential respect and awe for God where we bow before him in total submission because he is Lord. He's the Lord God Almighty. And if he truly is Lord, he gets the absolute number one priority in our life, in every moment of our life. And every generation takes a stand on this. Where do you stand 
Do you fear God? Or maybe you're at the superstition stage where, eh, maybe. Do you fear God like your parents fear God? Is he your priority like he's your parents' priority? Every generation has to choose. Well, let's take it one step further. Do you fear God like your grandparents feared God? Is your faith as strong and as deep as your grandparents' faith? Do you live by that faith? Or maybe there is no heritage, no Christian heritage in your family, ever. And maybe you're the first, the first generation to fear God and to bow before Jesus as Lord and to be filled with faith, born from the experience of that saving mercy of God. Merry Christmas, everyone. The birth of Jesus is the fulfilment of the promise of God to bring mercy. Do not miss out on that mercy. Do not turn your back on that mercy. Do not go, well, perhaps I'll think about that mercy later. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your power. We praise you for your holiness and for your mercy. Lord, we confess that we are sinful and totally undeserving, totally unworthy. And yet by your grace and in great mercy, you sent your son to live and die that we might be saved. Our Lord, fill us with a holy fear, a deep reverential awe and respect. And may our lives be filled with genuine worship, overflowing by your spirit from our soul. To you be the glory on this Christmas morning. And to you be the glory in every part of our lives from this day on. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone.